accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called To the Death. It is the 23rd episode of the fourth season. We're closing in on the end of this one. 13th of May, 1996 was the day that it aired. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Directed by our old friend Jody LaForge, also known as LeVar Burton. Following a hit-and-run attack on DS9 by a band of rogue Jem'Hadar, Sisko and his crew are joined by the Dominion on a mission to locate the rebels who have discovered another Iconian gateway. We were clamoring for a callback to Contagion from Season 2 of TNG, and here it is. Clay, how are you? Good, and I totally remember that episode. Too. I, don't, I don't think you watched it. I think Amy watched it when we were doing the podcast. So you don't Probably. have to feel bad. You didn't. Uh, it's not just your memory that's fading. You actually didn't see it at all. <laughs> it's a um, you know i do have to i do have to say in a, on a different note that uh god help the toilet on the defiant if wharf is constantly drinking an extra large prune juice <laughs> there's only one i understand i understand now why he wants to be alone out there because you know that's 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 gonna get uh tumultuous intense yeah it, it, there's only one toilet on the defiant is the other design flaw it's overpowered and it only has one head as they say in the navy because i'm a navy guy um <laughs> let's say so we are going to be talking about the iconian gateways we're going to be talking about the dominion we're going to be talking about Wayun. and just so you know clay the iconian gateway episode of tng was just the same thing they discovered these gateways that they could transport anywhere in the universe by using and then they had to destroy it in the tng episode and this one they find another one but we're going to take just use the replicator to make a new toilet You'd think so. Or or like some sort of transport. Couldn't couldn't technically toilets be like obsolete at this point? Because, well, not obsolete, but like you just a lot poop easier into the replicator. Into stuff. Yeah. Or well, I don't know if it works that way. But <laughs> if the dirty dishes go like, in there, my dirty diapers go just, in there as well. Yeah. If you just put like transporter technology at the bottom of like a, you know, a large bowl. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I thought that's what uh, porta potties basically were. Are you telling me that that's that, does, true. that doesn't disappear? Just it sits down there. Yeah. Well, I mean, similar similarly, uh, if you get into a porta potty, sometimes you will end up in a different place than where you thought you started. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's for certain. Uh, we're gonna take a break. I'm gonna play an audio clip. Me and Claire are gonna come back. We're gonna break down to the death. Couldn't the founders just order them to surrender? From what I know, the Jem'Hadar have been genetically engineered to obey them. The Founder's ability to control the Jem'Hadar has been somewhat... overstated. Otherwise, we never would have had to addict them to the White. Sounds like the Dominion isn't quite as stable as you'd like us to believe. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. But we leave that to history. Right now, we have a more pressing concern. The gateway must be destroyed. All right, Clay. So we were supposed to be joined by a patron who unfortunately had to cancel at the the last moment. So it's just going to be me and you talking about this. And... I guess let's start it off by, do, do you want to say your thoughts first? Or do you want me to lead into what I think this episode is sort of important for? 
Um, why don't you start? I think that this this episode is very important. It was um, the reason it was written is because they wanted to make the Jem'Hadar scary again. Mm-hmm. I, I think it actually does something much bigger than that. It actually reconfigures uh, the Dominion in almost a complete way, except for maybe the founders. But even then, it has the founders how they re, how they relate to everyone else. I think this episode, what it does is that the way that you see the Dominion interact here is the way that they basically act for the rest of the series. So it, it feels like they mm-hmm. really settled on something here. Like this is the interplay and the relationships and the characterization of all the species in the dominion and it's important for that and no small part of that goes to the fact that uh jeffrey combs is in this playing wayun who is one of Mm -hmm. my favorite ds9 characters of all time um and he is excellent and what he did before i kick this to you after this point the way that the Vorta are written, where previously they'd kind of been a jack of all trades. They were like scientists if you need a scientist. They're a spy if you need a spy. They're blah, blah, blah if you need that. And they were kind of generic. They're all kind of written the way that Combs performs this one. And so they come across more as skeeving middle management bureaucrats than anything mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. And that's really, it's kind of a neat species uh, going forward just because of how they write them like that. And I think Combs had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think... Um by this point in the series, their character writing is is top notch, um, and they are really they really have a handle on who these people are, even the small characters, and you get a lot out of a little, um, just putting them in. Like they get great stuff out of just saying, "All right, what if we put this character in a room with this character? What's going to happen?" And then they get a great scene out of it. And uh, with Jeffrey, I mean Jeffrey Combs is always great, but I I loved the scene where they where they uh, the Jem'Hadar bring over their little uh, drug hibachi. Yeah, into the and, when he's uh, eating dinner. Yeah, yeah, and he's like so bored by their shit at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're completely subservient to him and need the thing to survive, and he's like, Ugh. Oh, do you swear to uphold the blah blah, blah of the founders? Or, okay, here you go, get out of here. Like yep. I, I I thought that was great. Um, overall, yeah, you know, this is a, is a, is a weird episode cause I, I really liked it. Um, I, it felt like it should have been a two-parter because I thought it was going to be a two-parter because as they were getting closer and closer to the end, I was like, there's no way they're going to, they're, they're going to do this whole like gate blow up mission in like five minutes, which is exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, it was really, uh, for an episode that is entirely a bunch of people on a ship going to do something else, it was very engaging <clears throat> and I thought very interesting. Um, I don't, you said they were trying to make the Jem Hadar scary again or the yeah, because scary again. The previous, outside of the search where we first meet them, uh, the Jem Hadar and then the search where we first meet them, the two episodes that we've seen the Jem Hadar after that have been the one with the baby Jem Hadar. And then the one with yep. the rebel ones in Hippocratic Oath where they don't want to be on the white anymore. So it's not really, mm-hmm. it's not a true look into the Jem'Hadar society. So the writers wanted to sort of restate that to show them that they're actually a scary group of people as opposed to a sort of like dysfunctional group. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they entirely succeed doing that. I think you get a great, I think the seeing more into who they are as, as a society is great. I don't necessarily think it makes them scarier. And I think one of the things that 
hurts that is um, it unfortunately falls into the trap of the uh, uh, we've got too many of this overpowered thing, and we need it's this thing that happened. I think I've talked about it before, where they, where they set up a villain, and the villain is like the baddest villain they've ever come up with. And, you know, just one of them can just absolutely destroy everything that the heroes have. And then, which is fine, and that's scary. And, you know, they, they did that to very great effect with the Jem'Hadar previously. But now it's like they start the episode really great by having the Jem'Hadar, you know, completely fuck up Deep Space Nine and then get out of there and then they can't find them and who knows where they are. And then when they, and they're talking about them this whole time about, you know, having to go down and fight them to destroy this gate. And they're like, well, there's, you know, there's like 12 of them there and, or no, 150 or something like that. Right. Yeah. 150. Yeah. Um, And so that is pretty much a suicide mission. Um, But then when they get there, it's just kind of like, you know, it's, I mean, if Dax can take on like two of them at the same time and it's, it, it, it becomes a problem of like, when you have all these super powered creatures, for some reason, when you get a lot of them, they become super weak. Yeah. Um, and really easy to kill. And I mean, I understand, <laughs> I understand why that happens, but it also, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that's inherently a flaw in the story that you're telling. If you know you can't figure out a way to keep them at their high power level, but also do the mission and have it be you know have have the amount of action that you want, you know. Um, but so yeah, I think that's a bit of a detriment to it. Um, but well, I really I'll, like the I'll the, say that uh, the insight to them though. Sorry, so the uh, I think that the what you said earlier is kind of funny, and that normally we make fun of the episodes that's like we're killing time on the way to get to something, and mm-hmm. this is a weird inversion of that where I prefer the getting to the place stuff that happens here. Oh yeah, and and the hundred percent the action scene actually probably drags the episode down a little bit for me. Yeah. It's not even a bad Star Trek action scene. It's pretty good for Star Trek. I think it's just it's kind of it's very much a network TV '90s fight scene thing where, you, as you're saying, Dax is fighting off characters and like uh, you know the the Jem'Hadar aren't coming across as a threat that they were. The reason, especially sorry, especially because when they get to the planet, they even bump up the stakes even more by their weapons don't work. So it's right. like, oh shit, they have to fight these guys hand to hand. There's they should get destroyed. The so. The reason I prefer the ship stuff is because the ship stuff is to me what makes the Jim Hadar scary. It's the mm-hmm. the the philosophy of them is very interesting. And I was talking at the top about how uh, it sort of reconfigures all the Dominion. I think going into this one, you could have made the argument that the Jim Hadar. I think I maybe made this point are basically just the Dominion's version of the Klingons. Yeah, and they're not. They're very different from the Klingons. Where the Klingons are always described as a warrior race, and I think that's applicable. The Jem'Hadar are a soldier race to me, and they have a yeah. It's a totally different thing. Like where the Klingons don't sort of just fight for no reason and are willing to disobey. And like the Worf has a line in here about how celebrating a victory is the best part of having a victory. And mm-hmm. the Jem'Hadar live for the fights. And what makes them scary is that they're so anti the Federation values. Where I think they have a great line here. And I think that the episode is really good because it makes Jim Hadar society make sense in terms of a soldier thing where when they're doing the practice run for the bombing, O'Brien's like, they're like, well, if you can't figure out where the last Jim Hadar is there, you have to stay there until the bomb goes off. And O'Brien's like, I'm not going to stay and blow myself up. And the Jim Hadar are just like, you can't complete the mission if you're not willing to die for this. Like, this right. is a very important thing. And the Jim Hadar actually, I think, have the better 
perspective on it, but it's a totally anti-Federation values. And I think that the the episode does a good job of drawing a difference between what you could have said was just the Dominion version of the Klingons and making them into something else that stands on its own. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I think all that stuff is great. I think where I would hesitate to say that they succeeded in making them scary again is that every time that they do something like that, they have somebody from the Federation undercut it in like a jokey way. Yeah. Um, like uh, the at, towards the end, right before they go, <clears throat> um, Tanosh Chitlan or whatever his name is, does that uh, <laughs> uh, that speech about like I am dead from this point on, we are dead. Victory is life, and that yep. kind of thing, which yep. is which is awesome. I mean, that whole thing is great. And then O'Brien immediately is like, "Hey, I'm alive. I'm not going to die. Forget that." fucking guy yeah let's just go and do this and get home and have a good time and it's like all right i mean you're kind of you're kind of taking the piss out of it which is is not making it so scary when you do that and and also the the scene with uh where where the guy's just staring at dax for a while and then they have this conversation about like age and everything i i can see why that i can see how that might have been supposed to have been scary but it comes off as very funny Um, so so yes so See, maybe we differ a little bit on this episode because I actually like those moments, and to me, it's a oh, I don't, I don't not like them. I think yeah. they're great. You just think I they just kind don't... of undercut the Jemadar threat. Yeah, I think they undercut them a little bit. Um, I, I think they treat the Jemadar a little bit silly in this episode. Like even the scene where 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 Jeffrey Combs is is like bored by their shit. That's uh, it, really uh, taking the piss out of them pretty heavily. Um, and there's not really a point where, well, they kind of, they kind of interject them here and there where they're like, uh, where they're very serious. Like I I think the um, scene where the, the lead Jem'Hadar talks to Cisco alone and says, I'll Mm -hmm. do this for you now, but once the mission is over, we'll see where we stand at that point. Like Mm -hmm. that's good. And I think that the, the scene where Worf and the other one get into a fight and the Jem'Hadar commander kills his underling. Mm-hmm. is another good description of the difference between the two of them. Like, I, I yeah. think that I, I would I would kind of agree with you, although I think it's still, I think I'm still binding it to, like, this general Star Trekiness of it. Like, it's never going to be truly a horrific race of people. Um, I would agree that maybe, as much as I like it, maybe the Dax one is the least uh, appropriate to have because they kind of have a little jokey banter going on towards the end of it. That Jem'Hadar doesn't really come across as particularly serious to me. But the rest of them, I think, is pretty good. Although I'm trying to come up with a reason for why with the serving when he gives them the uh, the dinner table uh, white scene, why that doesn't work. I think that I view that more just as that scene plays as a way that the Dominion species, the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar interact with each other and how mm-hmm. they treat each other and the sort of disdain that the Dominion is built upon where all the species are kind of antagonistic towards each other even though they have a common goal of revering the founders yeah yeah no i can see that definitely yeah and i mean you know i i thought all of those scenes like i said i thought all those scenes were were great i mean it they were very interesting uh looks into the uh different societies i thought the stuff with um wharf and the gem hadar guy were awesome that gem hadar guy is uh Brian Thompson, uh, character actor extraordinaire, who mm-hmm. you would you know know from many other Star Trek episodes. He usually plays a Klingon. Um, but yeah, I thought that stuff was great. Like that first, uh, 
that first scene with him and Worf where he's just, you know, just running down Worf really hard and, and calls him impotent, Worf's, which is a, a yeah, hard dig. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought that was great. <laughs> that whole thing about, you know, eventually the Jem'Hadar are gonna take over the Klingons and I, I thought that stuff was great. Yeah, his line about as I'm standing amongst the bodies of dead Klingons, I'll remember your impotence in this moment. Yeah. Which is which is yeah, a pretty sick great. burn. And I, I feel I actually kind of feel for Worf here because Worf's inner Klingon nature must be like bristling at or chafing, you know, just because Cisco is limited in what he can do to him. So Worf kind of, in the eyes of the Jemadar, I'd imagine Worf comes off as a little bit of a pussy in this just because he's not allowed to respond in a way that the Jemadar would respect. And Worf is so uh, bound to his, you know, his duty type stuff that he's he's forced to go in with uh, whatever Cisco gives him as punishment, which is being sent to his room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, I, I did like that. I even like that too. After, uh, um, after the he the lead guy kills his second in command there. Uh, I'm also not going to remember any of the Jem'Hadar names because yeah. they're impossible names to remember. But yeah, the, when, click, when the when the second and, second in command gets killed, um, Cisco uses it as as an excuse to uh, to to show the difference between the two of them. Um, and I, it's, I, I, I like that it's, you know, after he does, after he kills the guy, Cisco, you know, get, definitely gets his back up and is like, no, I'm not, obviously I'm going to do that. I'm going to punish him, but I'm not going to kill him because he's a, he's an important part of my team. And then well, I like the line, <laughs> the, the, like, dead, the dead don't learn lessons is Cisco's Yeah, the point. dead don't learn lessons. And then the other guy was like, well, that was my second in command. He was like my best officer. So. I'm willing to do that to literally anyone. <laughs> I wish Cisco had been like, you realize that's like strategically a terrible idea, right? <laughs> he should have argued about, yeah, now we're down one dumbass. Like, how the fuck yeah, are we going to Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought. It's like there's 150 of the most intense, uh, ferocious fighting species that we have to go through. And we have like 15 people here, and now we have 14 people. Thank you. <laughs> and only six Jem'Hadar. There's another down to five at this point. Yeah, yeah, that was it was, although... Fits their uh, species, I guess. If you want to get super like into it, the the Vorta are the strategery people here. And That's the, true. Yeah, you know, the uh, the Jem'Hadar are just for fighting. They're not necessarily for fighting. And what what actually always interests me. You have me, to think. Sorry, I was just gonna say you have to think. What does rank even mean to them? Because like, is it just position? Because have, being a second in command, theoretically, you would think like, well, anybody can be a second in command in the Jem'Hadar because it's they're all expendable. Yes. So it's not like by definition they are. N- the the concept of command is 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 ex- explicitly a uh, uh, play, not a placeholder but a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, it's not for show, but it's like it's not important to their to their fighting style, right? It's right. just someone who's going to take the chain of command. It has nothing to do with like skill, right? Yeah, <clears throat> because they yeah they they're not. And it's not that Klingon-y way where they're fighting each other to determine hierarchy. I don't know how they actually determine hierarchy right. and who's in yeah. charge or anything. I guess they'd be bred for it or something like that genetically. But the um, the Jem'Hadar society, I, I, I think it works. I, I think it works fairly well here. And I think that the the insight you get into them, it's a nice little setup of shoving them all onto the Defiance and having... Um, them all sort of work out their differences with each other. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's neat. I think it adds a lot. Uh, we've talked about the Jem'Hadar. I don't know if you want to talk about Wayun at this point because I do have. I do think the the performances of Jeffrey Combs as Wayun is extremely good 
It is yeah, something that great. if you were looking at the script for this episode and you stuck generic Vorta into it, it loses a tremendous amount in what's going on. The way that Combs plays this brings, I think, a, a level of performance that can't be in the script. Just because the way that Combs plays Weyoun is to be... He comes across as kind of incompetent, but thinking highly of himself and is surprised whenever he is mistaken about something. And I, I don't think that's a necessary part of the script, but the actor just adds so much to it that it gives a real depth. And as we've talked about before, the best guest actors on Star Trek are like 5% campy. Like it's just 5% yes, teetering yeah. towards camp. And he does a really good job um, here turning the, you know, the bland Vorta into really just this like sycophantic... Uh, middle management administrator board bureaucrat role, which I think is something that the Dominion w will really benefit from. And it's a role that needs to be filled. But what would you think about Wayun and Combs in general? Yeah, I thought he was great. Um, I mean, if you need someone who's 5% camp, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs is your man. <laughs> um, there was a couple shots. There was one shot in particular, I think when he was having that back and forth with Odo, um, where he got into Shatner territory a little bit. I was like, if you close your eyes, this could be early William Shatner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I thought he was great. The way that they have him, uh, you know, dealing with the Federation and having that kind of smug look on his face the whole time was great. Um, I, I love, you know, like I said already, I love the 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 uh, exasperated way he deals with the Jem Hadar. Um, I thought that uh, I was. I, I was I thought for a second that they that he was going to end up being a founder uh, because of that scene with Odo, right? Because of the way that he was talking to Odo. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it it very much felt like it was it was one changeling talking to another in the way that they've done previously, where whoever he's talking to turns out to be a, 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 a changeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was a little surprised that they didn't do that. Um, not that it matters either way, but. Uh, and I was also surprised. I was a little bit confused by his death at the end. Yeah. Um, have you have you noticed that the past two episodes have felt to me like they are desperately running out of time and they just need to wrap things up quickly? <laughs> I feel I feel like the yes. end credits pop up like far too soon. In the one previous to this, there's a shot. We should have lingered on the shot of Cisco being sad in that um, shuttle bay for a little bit longer, but instead it cuts to the exterior and then immediately the credits pop up. In this one. They do that, and then O'Brien's like, we got to get out of here. And Cisco says, okay, it cuts to the ship, and then the credits roll immediately. It's just like, yeah, it feels yeah. like their time is just running out. Yeah, that last episode, uh, I felt like that would have been a good opportunity to roll the credits over that s shot instead of yeah. going cutting to the outside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I was a little confused by them killing him at the end and where they stand at that point. Like, did they, are they, are those Jem Hadar now also renegades or are they, no, they just wanted to kill him for the sake of killing him, or they've accepted that they are never going to go back to the Dominion, so they're free to break uh, rank and kill the Vorta who's offended them because they are going to die uh, either hunting down and killing all these other rebel Jem'Hadar, or they're going to die in the process. But either way, they're not okay. going back, so they've they've given up on the sort of uh, hierarchy of the Dominion that they depended on previously because they can't that's get white anymore. Yeah, that's kind of badass. Um, but yeah, no, I thought, I thought Jeffrey Combs was great. I mean, it's too bad that they killed him because he would have been a great, uh, Vorta to run into again. Well, don't worry. So, um, he does <laughs> Wait, return. Wait, does, does he come back as that he, character? He comes back as that character. Yeah. 
Really? Yep. Um, the producers does, were so happy with the performance happen? that they write a storyline into the Vorta that allows him to come back. And see, this is why this is why sometimes writing everything at once is is not is not the best idea because yep. then you miss out on stuff like that. Yep, yep. So Wayun is in a bunch of episodes uh, oh, starting next season. Um, he sort of becomes the face for the Dominion eventually, where the, he takes the place of the he's sort of the spokesman for the founders um, in a lot of ways. I I think that's a really smart call because I don't think the founders have been super interesting. When you actually get to talk to them, no, they're point. better in theory than they are in execution, yeah. sort of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so having someone like him who can pull that weight very well is a great uh, is a great decision. Uh, the other, I, I the other thing that Wayun, you talked about that Odo and Wayun scene. The Odo and Wayun scene is another thing that I think is sort of refigured from the Dominion because I think this episode hits the fact that. The Jem'Hadar and the Vorta view the founders as gods, and I mm-hmm. think they've mentioned that before. But this one really feels that way. Like the, I love the Odo talking to Wayun scene, just about the like, if I tell you to stop talking to me, will you stop talking to me? He says yeah, yes, but great. please let me, let me finish. Like let me tell you one thing before that happens. Um, the the Reverend and Combs playing it, you never really know if if Wayun believes it or if he's just playing a bullshit artist to the founders when he talks to them because he's he's supposed to view them as that way but he's such a slimy used car salesman of a character that you're never really sure if he's just like kissing their ass basically and I really like that about it he does it to Odo and uh, he'll do it in the future yeah he's kind of like the Vorta uh, Ducat a little bit yes only a little bit or only probably more more of a bureaucrat and more like a more of a board bureaucrat than Ducat is yes yeah yeah well he's um Wayun is more of the system than Ducat. Ducat's kind of outside the system. He sees himself as his own man in a way that Wayun is totally invested in his uh, position. Yeah, yeah. Ducat, Ducat is a company man as long as being company man uh, benefits him. But Wayun is a company man because that's the job he's had since just out of high school, and that's where he's going to die. Right, right. Um, I was thinking. It occurred to me, but I, I guess the explanation would be that they're renegade Jem'Hadar, so it wouldn't matter. But why I was thinking why didn't they lead with Odo in that battle if only to t- right. to catch them off guard, you know? Yeah. Well the, and they have the instead of bringing him in in a bag for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> why did they do that? Why did they ha- why did they spend that money on having Odo disguised as a bag? I think it was a distraction ploy in terms of the episode but I I don't know. There's not even when he reveals himself um the Jem'Hadar aren't shocked that a founder is in front of them. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that would be, he'd catch them by surprise by doing that or something, but he doesn't. My only thought was that it was supposed to be a fake out for the bomb. Like, cause it comes at a point where they're, where the Jem'Hadar are kind of pushing right, that's down what on I mean. them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so I thought that it was supposed to be a audience fake out. For, so be like O'Brien being, I think I felt like it was supposed to be O'Brien answering the criticism that he got in in the test run by saying like oh like we got to set this bomb off now or something like that and then it like oh nope it's actually Odo as mm-hmm. a bag what yeah I, I, I what don't think the direction really the wrong bag <laughs> Odo let you know about it I th- <coughs> excuse me I think that's what it was supposed to be I don't know if the direction really carries that at the end that it's supposed to be yeah. like a distraction ploy um, 
because it comes across as kind of chaos and they just Odo is a bag and now he's a changeling and now he's Odo again and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I didn't think that was super clean. Um, They're doing a lot more. uh, LeVar Burton didn't direct the last episode, did he? No, the last one he directed was um, fairly recently. DS9. Why do you say that? I'll look it up as I'm uh, thinking about it. Well, the DS9 crew must must finally have uh, uh, gotten the money to pay for a dolly or something because the last two episodes they've been doing these like really dramatic push-ins for close-ups that they haven't really done much of. Yeah, like uh, th- that scene with Odo and 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 Wei Yun, they get like full frame face there. Yes, they, uh, <clears throat> I like the direction here. The last one Burton did was Rules of Engagement, the one where Worf shoots the uh, civilian ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was good. I, it was just it was a uh, um, it was a cam it was a camera move I was not expecting from the show because they don't do it very often. So I wanted to um, ask you about that. So I'm actually really impressed by the direction of most of the former cast members. Uh, Franks mm. is good. Burton is good. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Avery Brooks is good in this, and I was wondering if you had Picard any- also did <laughs> one. Patrick Stewart is terrible, but he did one. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Uh, and then I have a few, but I wondered if you thought anything about it. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's probably has, if I had to take a hazard, well, no, I was going to say Avery Brooks is a theater guy too. I was going to say maybe the reason that Patrick Stewart wasn't so good at it is because he's not really a, a, a film guy. He's yeah. a theater guy, um, and a lot of these other actors are very much movie and television actors, and they spend all of their days surrounded by this process. So they're going to some of them are going to you know by osmosis take on the uh, the uh, the do's and the don'ts and the how tos of, of of doing it. And I um, on the the documentary that's on uh, it's not a documentary; it's a conversation between Patrick Stewart, uh, Frakes, Nimoy, and Shatner, um, they talk about directing because they've all, all four of them to, you know, pros and cons of which have, have directed Star Trek in some fashion or other. (laughs) And they, uh, they, Whoopi Goldberg asks Frakes about it. And he's like, you know, I just learned everything everything I possibly could about doing it while I was there. Like I, I knew it was something I was interested in. So I made at every possible point, I, I learned as much. I talked to everybody on the crew. I just became as familiar with it as possible. So I, I so when I, when I finally got the chance to do it, I knew I'd be able to do it. Yeah. And, basically uh, securing a job going forward because you're not always going to be an actor. You know, you can direct right. much longer than an actor's lifespan would be. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an interesting, uh, I find it fascinating if it, not just limited to Star Trek, but if you look at the uh, actors in the world who have become directors, a lot of the best actors turned directors are not necessarily the best actors. Yep. Um, like Ron Howard, probably not the best actor in the world. Uh, yep. Not known for his acting. Let's put it that way. There's that Great guy director. who played, um, uh, excuse me, in season five of The Wire, he's Templeton, the sort of corrupt reporter guy. He directed oh. um, Spotlight, the oh, uh, no Boston kidding. Globe thing. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. cool. Um, you know, 
who's the other one I uh, was thinking of? Uh, Frakes, obviously. He's not a bad actor, but he's not like an actor, you know? Right. Uh, LeVar Burton (laughs) is not really known for, well, I mean, I guess he was at one point, but he's not like an actor's actor. No, he's not someone Um, you think of the the art of acting. He's not LeVar Burton. Yeah, Ben Affleck, better director than he is an actor, definitely. Um, Robert Redford, good actor, better director. Uh, You know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, Mel Gibson, was a is a pretty good director. Uh, I mean, I guess he's only done a few, but I'd say Clint Eastwood almost. Clint Eastwood, yeah. I'm well. <laughs> I, I would maybe this is a discussion for the Patreon podcast, but I think I would call Clint Eastwood a great actor. I think I would. I think I would too. Although I was watching um, the Sergio Leone movies, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just a product of the time. I was not terrifically impressed by it. Um, yeah. It might just be how old they are, but I was not like, "Wow, this is a this is a star turning performance from Clint Eastwood here." Well, that those movies are are, are particular in that the t- you know it, it, this is a, in a completely different podcast uh, conversation, but ba- the, those movies are are they were so much different than what the Western had been up to that point. Yeah. And his character is so much different than what a Western hero had been up to that point. And yeah, he doesn't really do much in those movies. He just sort of like is there talks, very talks quiet gruffly. and kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody else is kind of doing the heavy lifting in those movies, which is fine. I mean, they just, and they push in on him when they need a good shot of his, you know, squinty eyes. <laughs> but in the movies he did after that, when he did become a star, he definitely is a, I think he's definitely had some great roles. Um, but uh, not to go too far off track. But yeah, it's for whatever reason. It's and you know I think it happens in lots of different things. Like sports, a lot of times the best coaches are not necessarily the best players. I know that. Yeah. Uh, and you know I think sometimes the best players aren't the best coaches. Uh, I know there's a, a story about Ted Williams. Uh, Ted Williams, after he retired, the Red Sox wanted to have him be a, co- a hitting coach, and he couldn't do it because it was just something he couldn't. He couldn't. He didn't know how to teach anybody else how to do it. Yeah, because it's all he, personality. Yeah, and and they. Uh, I think somebody asked him about it. And he's like, "Well, I can literally count the seams on the ball when I see it thrown at me, and I can't really teach that to anybody." Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's it, it's it's a weird. It's an interesting disconnect between. Uh, I I feel like that the old idiom, if that's the word for it, of uh, if you can't do, you teach, is a little unfair, um, because. Being a if being a director is more or less being an acting teacher on set for some to some extent, mm. and it is interesting that the the ones who are not the best actors do make really great directors. It's 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 a really it's it's fascinating. I thought that um, I think that the the there's a flair to the actors who do the directing in a way that I I sort of wonder. I'm almost more technical with it. Like if the the other directors, a lot of them are also producers. Some are just directors, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are producers who are doing a lot more than just directing on the show. So I'm sure that yeah. they have a much more workmanlike approach to it. Like, let's just get the shots and get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, I don't know, there's something there's something about the the flair of the actors that they bring to it. Like, they've, they've been there for so long that they've seen everything and they just kind of yeah. throw yeah. little twists into it to just keep things going. Where the other, the other producer directors are a little bit more workmanlike about it and just get the job done. Yeah, and I also think that the actors who are directors know how to talk to the actors better, probably. Yeah, They're, yeah. Because, you know, they, I don't know if there's sort of an actor shorthand, but if there is, they probably know it. Um, right. It, it, yeah, it's probably easier to get something, get what you want out of an actor if you you yourself are an actor and know how it's done, you know? 
So to bring it back to this, um, what do you think of the, uh, we sort of skittered off of this from the Odo and Weyoun stuff. What, what do you think of the, the way that the Dominion treat Odo to this point? How they interact with him? Um, it's, I like it. It's, uh, it's fairly one note I've noticed. Uh, it's usually all sort of the same iteration of, uh, you know, don't you want to come home? And he's like, no, I don't want to come home. And they're like, well, maybe you will someday. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, well, I guess we're gonna have to kill you then. Uh, So it's, it's kind of the same recurring thing. Uh, but I mean, it works and it, it doesn't happen so often that it's distracting. The Jem'Hadar have one interesting line towards them where they're getting the briefing and they say, it's not for me to judge the, judge heaven. The gods will judge you. Um, mm-hmm. They 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 don't really dig into it too much, but the the way that they revere him is interesting. It's not it's not a total reverence because that would be anticlimactic for the show, but it's something interesting off that. All right. Did you have uh, anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap this one up, or have you we discussed everything? I've, we've gone over everything that's on my list at this point. Yeah, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Um, yeah. All right. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We're going to read some patron thoughts. We're going to give our own thoughts, and then we're going to call it a day. I am first, Ometaklan, and I am dead. As of this moment, we are all dead. We go into battle to reclaim our lives. This we do gladly, for we are Jimadar. Remember, victory is life. Victory is life. Such a delightful people. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. I'm very much alive and I intend to stay that way. (laughs) Amen. Let's get it done. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, Get to leave comments about upcoming episodes. I'll read them on the show and we'll react to them. So Holly McLaughlin says, To the death, the up-close contrast between the Jemadar and Starfleet ways uh, ways of working is powerful and effective. Wayun is always a scene stealer. Up next we have Joint Mango says, To the death is the bomb. Very simple comment. Then we have, <clears throat> excuse me, this cold I'm shaking. You guys have probably been able to tell I'm, I'm battling a, a horrible, horrible head cold. Matthew Ross says, "Got to get more to, of that Ketrasel White, baby." I know. <laughs> soothes the throat. Matthew Ross says, "To the death! What a whirlwind opening, showing destruction at DS9. Whoever they have the most amazing repair teams is it's back to normal by the next episode. Anyway, a good sense of tension, chasing a Jem'Hadar assault team, and their pure combat mentality is well acted and displayed. Sparta has nothing on these guys." The introduction of Weyun is nicely done, and the fact of, uh, of his dispatch shows that the Dominion soldiers are not the mindless automatons making for a worrisome adversary. Also, the fact that Weyun shows a disgust of the Jem'Hadar in the drug ceremony makes you question how the Dominion hasn't ripped itself to shreds earlier. Cisco's ability... Uh, Go I'm ahead. sorry. Can, I was just going to say, it was a uh, musing on the Ketrasol White thing. I was going to say, I would like to see who, uh, w- what the mechanism for that device is like the actual filmmaking mechanism because every time they have a close-up of one of those guys they have the you can see the stuff moving in the tube yeah yeah and i don't know if there's like they have a, a, a mechanical setup for that or if there's just like a stage guy off hand off off to the side just like Blow. squeezing a thing <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. sorry didn't mean to interrupt 
Yeah, <laughs> I mean, building a motor for that would seem like it's a little bit more work than you need to, but I don't know. That's actually a good question. Uh, Cisco's ability to stand tall in the face of those trying to kill him was well acted and believable, as is O'Brien's snark. I know O'Brien was included to be the rough vet versus the pure killers, but shouldn't he have at least been at the station fixing the place? No PTSD either. Worf's side comment on the Iconians was well done. They don't dwell on his experience, but his anger and consistent attacking of the Jem'Hadar officer seems forced. Overall, a well-acted and good episode that decries more trouble for the Federation than episodes to come. Calbert says, okay, here's this. At the end of Discovery Season 2, Stamets gets stuck in the ancient past after a spore drive malfunction, but uses his mushroom powers to take over the galaxy, creating the Iconian Empire and its gateways using the power of the Mycelium Network. Oh, that's for the shit actual- out of here. Oh, it's for the actual episode. It's lovely stuff. One of the best of the season and does wonders to make the Jem'Hadar scary, even when Starfleet has to team up with them. It's also nice that the Netflix UK has the unedited version of the episode, complete with all the murder and neck snapping sounds one could ask for. Again, lovely stuff. Um, is he joking or is that true? The edit thing? Yeah. Yes. This this episode is actually, I think it's one of the most edited by censors of any Star Trek episodes. They Really? Uh, the British version does not have the neck snapping scene. Or at least the noise uh, when the guy oh. kills the other Jem'Hadar. And they cut out like a minute worth of the fight scenes at the end. You know, I've always been fascinated by the difference between American censors and UK censors. Because UK censors censor the weirdest shit. Mm-hmm. They're I, generally much more open to uh, <clears throat> exotic stuff. But they censor stuff that over here, I'm just, I go like, why would you censor that? That's the least offensive yeah. bit of it. I remember hearing, I don't know if this is true or if he was joking, on the commentary for Evil Dead 2, Sam Raimi said the only thing that they cut out of Evil Dead 2 in uh, the UK was a scene where uh, Ash gets jumped and he's kind of like unconscious and then a guy comes in and kicks him in the face when he's like knocked out. And he said they cut that out because in the UK they don't like it when when you kick somebody when they're down. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I believed it, so. Nick Sergi says, To the death was pretty good. I just think that later on they got better actors for the Jem'Hadar soldiers. Uh, Jeffrey Combs is introduced here as a version of Wayun, and he too would improve. I think the episode is trying to be balls-to-the-wall action, and because of all the talk on the Defiant, it seemed out of place. But I liked it. I just don't rewatch it all that much, considering. Thank you very much, patrons. Thank you for leaving your thoughts about To the Death. Clay, what did you think about this one? What are you going to give it on a scale of one to five? Um, I'll give it a four. Uh, I think it was, I think you could have gotten two episodes out of this and two like satisfying episodes. I think you could have done a second episode that was just the attack on the gate. And I think if they had done something more creative than just, we're going to run at them and kill them and eventually do it. Uh, I think that would have, could have made a great, you know, cause then you get into the difference of strategy between the Jem Hadar and the Federation and all that kind of yeah, stuff. I think yeah. that could have been fun. So I think the ending brings it down for me, uh, but the, everything up till the ending I thought was great. Yeah, I think it's um, I'm pretty much the same. the 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 last action sequence sort of knocks it down. It's it's like ten minutes of the episode, but it's a pretty good chunk of it. But uh, the rest of it is really good. I like everything up to that. I love uh, Wayun, one of my favorite characters. I love the Jem'Hadar disposition. I love the way that they've reconfigured the Dominion, and this is pretty much the way that it's going to be going forward. I like all the the character work, the Dax talking to the Jem'Hadar about being 300 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dax talking to O'Brien when he's sending home his like goodbye message I thought was really great. Like that's the, that's the writing for Dax that makes sense. As someone who is wise and sort of able to soothe others because she's been there and seen it all before. 
The other thing I've noticed about Dax, and I think if if this is on purpose, it's actually pretty good writing for her. She Dax seems fairly preoccupied with sex. Is yeah. and if I remember correctly, when the real Dax comes out, he he or is that right? Is it who who? No, the last guy. Who who's the last guy? Curzon. Curzon. Curzon was kind of a horn dog, wasn't he? Yes, he was. So is that by design where it's like the horniness of Dax is is a result of the influence of Curzon? I believe that's what they've said. Yeah. So it's all the, all the previous hosts have combined into what is now Jedzia Dax. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's good writing for her then, because I mean, I that's that's I I found <laughs> I found that really really funny when they were having that scene where they're like, yeah, they don't have this, and she's like, yeah, no women either, and they're like, yeah, or this, and he's like, yeah, no women either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a good scene. They're, they're getting better at writing her stuff and giving her things to do. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I like Cisco in this. I like Cisco yelling at people. I like Cisco being a badass. Um, it's a four for me, but it's a very strong four. I think this is a really yeah. good episode. It's just it's just that ending. And I I might agree with you that it's splitting it into a two-parter would have been a better way to go about things. Um, I don't know if I would... I don't. I don't know if an entire episode about that assault would have been something I'd be interested in seeing, but I, I don't. I feel like they definitely could have done something with it more than they actually did. Uh, yeah, you could have done like a B plot of something happening back on the Defiant or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dex talking sexy shop. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's see here. I think that's pretty much it, guys. Thank you very much for supporting the show. You can check out all the social media links. Is Facebook and Twitter are the generic ones. You can go to Discord, which is where all the community chatter happens. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. A couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff. I'll be doing a TNG trivia night with some of the patrons later on. That'll be go up on uh, Patreon. You guys can check that out. If and you then, need if you need someone to set the bar for being terrible at it, let me know and I can do it. <laughs> we need the baseline answers thing. This I, I will say, people doing this, this game I have, the trivia is absurdly obscure. Like it's it's just so <laughs> bizarre. I, I don't even remember half the stuff that they're talking about. I, uh, I had a game like that. Uh, I had a, a Marvel Comics um, trivia game. And at the time when I got it, I considered myself a fairly dense working encyclopedia, not, encyclopedic, not, encyclopedic knowledge of Marvel Comics. And it was hard, man. Those, yeah. they, don't, they don't mess around in some of those <laughs> games. They got to get the challenge. They got to get the challenge out there. That's it. Otherwise, rate the show on iTunes if you're so inclined. It's much appreciated. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, no, uh, poser threes in stores. And also the first issue of my next book night moves, I think just came out. I just got my copies in the mail. So that means it's either out now or coming out next week, probably. So if you see that, uh, feel free to grab it. And if you are watching Batman, the animated series again, cause you're having 25 years of nostalgia forced down your throat, feel free to check out bat ass podcast where me and Sean Murphy talk about Batman, the animated series ad nauseum. Yep. That's about it. All right, guys. Hopefully, I'll be able to kick this cold by the next time that we're recording. That'll be nice. Uh, And I think that's about it. Thank you very much for listening to The Death. We've only got a couple episodes left of DS9 Season 4, and then we're done. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Guys, thank you very much for listening. But you should know, this may have been a pleasurable experience, but the next time that I see you, we will be on this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then you do your predator runoff into the, into the forest. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much. Uh, I also like the, the before we go, when uh, they're going in there, they actually reference the fact that you can see through the cloaking device. So Odo has that, when they're doing the drill, Odo's like, look for a little bit of squiggly invisibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
It's not perfect, but it works. (laughs) Guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.